But just start thinking, you know what, Lord, you've called us to something else. And you've called us out of this world and into new life. And that life, family of God, is an abundant life. And I want to tell you tonight, you don't want to live with the enemy. You want to live above the enemy. You want to defeat the enemy. You want to hate what God hates and you want to love what God loves. And so tonight as we finish up here in chapter 9 of the book of Joshua, I want to pray. I want to pray for a new zeal in our lives as a church, as individuals. Because time is short and people are going to hell. They're dying without Jesus. And we don't want them to think that we are not different. Because we are different. We are saints. We are called out ones. And they're supposed to know who we are. Pastor Ricky preached a message out of Acts chapter 5. And in that passage is a beautiful passage prison picture where all the captives are set free and they don't know how they got out. The prison's just plain empty. And Peter preaches an incredible sermon and in it he says, ought we obey man rather than God? Because the the religious leadership had said, hey, don't don't teach about this Jesus dude anymore. Don't do it. We're going to throw you in prison. Well, prison couldn't hold them. And the prison can't hold you either in Jesus. And it can't hold us. And it won't ever hold anybody who names his name. And so our task, our goal as a church, is to win people to Christ and then see them grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we tonight just turn to you. God, our worship has been offered. It's not the songs we sing before we get to the good stuff. It's an offering to you, Lord. We're inviting you to open our hearts and our minds to reveal if there's something in us that needs to go. God, and I just sense in this church tonight there are people here who are playing games with you. And God, I know that you can touch them right now. And I pray we leave this place changed. I pray that no one would come and be unaffected. That as we've worshipped you and declared who you are, Lord, we do shout your name from the mountaintops. For there is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And so God, please, work in our midst. Draw us near. Give us ears that richly will hear what your Spirit will say to us tonight as a church. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Overflow us, God. Move in this place. I want to pray for those people right now, Lord. They're, they're here tonight. I know they're here. And they think they have their fire insurance. But they don't really know if they're saved. 
I pray that before this service ends, that they will be convinced and convicted that you are the only way. And apart from you dwelling in us, there's no victory. And so, Lord, bless your people tonight. Transform us, change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn tonight to Joshua chapter 9. I'm going to pick up in verse 16. Anybody else experienced a battle this week? You know, I've shared with you from the pulpit, it's because it's, well, it's humorous to me now. It was not so humorous last week. We have a kind of a saying in our house that the moment the gills decide to go on vacation, someone is going to get sick. Someone will be injured. There will be blood. There's, there's going to be a wounding of some kind. And so we didn't know it, but when we left, both of our dogs actually had kennel coughs. So poor Mom and Paul ended up having to take them to the vet. So we get you know, to where we're going. And we're just like, oh, this is so awesome. Nobody's sick and everybody's doing good. I don't know how many of you as, as children ever got canker sores. You know, those nasty sores, usually on the side of your tongue, down there where your tongue meets your palate, and they just hurt. Well, by Wednesday of last week, I had 40 of them. And my tongue was so swollen, I couldn't talk, couldn't eat. You know, it's just like, God, this is not fair. And, and I remember actually saying to God, I'm actually mad at God right now. I'm sitting in Hawaii with my sweetheart and my family. I'm looking at the ocean. I cannot even talk about how beautiful it is because my tongue won't move. And I'm sitting there thinking, maybe there's a reason my tongue's not supposed to move. <laughs> and I had brought along a couple of books. And to be honest with you, there were a couple of books that I, I, I got at the pastor's conference and I'm like, I don't need this. I don't want to read this. This isn't for me. Dangerous calling. I know that. And I started reading. And it was a good thing I couldn't talk. Because probably all I would have done was just cry anyway. Over my own life. Just going, God, how can I preach grace to other people and not preach grace to myself? And you kind of learn to live with the enemy, so to speak, even in good things. You kind of got those blind spots in your life where you look at it and go, man, I'm not blind. That's just my personality. Anybody ever say that? I don't have a spirit. That's my personality. I'm not really... I not actually don't have any wickedness in me. That's just a, that's a metaphor used in Scripture. My heart's not deceitful and desperately wicked. I mean, come on, Eric. Now, there are some people in the church, their hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. I mean, you can tell if you just talk to them. But I'm a pastor, God. I can tell you I would have never read that book without 
sitting there in utter agony with nothing else to do. Didn't even want to drink. I lived on ice chips and water for three days. Now, I'm not telling you so you feel sorry for me. You you should absolutely praise the Lord for that experience, for me personally, for us personally, for us as a family. And here's why. Because God was able to speak some things into my life that he would not have been able to speak apart from the pain apart from the hurt, even apart from the anger, and apart from revealing that in the way it all went down. And so for me, I had kind of got a little blind spot. Well, God, you know, the church is doing good. Worship's awesome. Church is growing. But Jeff, are you growing? Well, of course, Lord, I spend all this time in the Word. I must be growing. The truth of the matter is, I need to grow more. That's the truth. And I tell you that as your pastor. I need to sit at the feet of Jesus a little more frequently, just for me. Not for you. Love you all. But I need Him too. I need His grace. I need His mercy. I need His undying love. You get a little blind. You can kind of learn to live with the enemy. And in tonight's passage, we kind of learn a little secret as to how that happens. Verse 16. And it happened at the end of three days that after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Now you remember this picks up on what we've already seen in this story. You've got the Gibeonites, the Midianites, these Canaanite peoples who go by their tribal leaders' names added to the front of them. These Canaanites who were wicked, whom Moses had told the children of Israel, when you enter the land, do not let any of them live who are already there, because they will pollute you. In other words, you need to deal decisively with sin. We have a tough time because these were human beings. And so we look at it and we might be tempted to think, well, I'll just live with that. It's okay. I mean, it's just a little bit of an addiction. I mean, 94.276% of me is okay. So I mean, this other little less than 6%, I mean, it must be alright for that part to be wicked and evil. You see, much like the Jews in this story, sometimes we don't really like to do the hard thing. You see, remember the lie? Remember what they'd said? Oh, we came from a far country. Look, you can tell by our worn out clothes. I mean, we got moldy bread. I mean, come on, we've got to be from someplace way far away if we've got moldy bread, right? When in fact, they were their neighbors. They were lying. 
How does this work out spiritually for us? The enemy is a liar. And he is going to camp people right next to you who are liars and thieves and cheats and drug addicts and they want to molest your kids and they want to destroy your life and they're going to go, oh, we're just from a far country. We're not really bad. Don't mind us. We're okay. And then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day, and now their cities were Gibeon, Sherapath, Beroth, Kirjath, and Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn by them by the God of Israel. They had done exactly what God had told them not to do. Don't make a covenant with your enemies. Ever. And so he goes on. They should have wiped them out. And so it was that the congregation complained against the rulers. The leaders were so high on their own spiritual prowess that they'd stopped talking to God. Get where I'm going with this? You see, you can become so enamored with your own spiritual growth, supposedly, so absolutely in love with yourself over yesterday's victory, that you forget that you need Jesus today. That you need the sovereign Lord of the universe at work in your life today, this very minute. That's why you've heard me, you know, sometimes when we talk about what we have termed in our modern society addictions. You know, people go by, well, it's been three weeks since I did this, or five weeks since I did that, or a year since I did that. Let me give you a little secret. You're still capable 30 years later of doing that exact same thing, and apart from God's work in your life, that's exactly where you will be. So the one step is draw near to Him. Inquire of the Lord in His holy temple, your Bible says. For he is near to those who call upon his name. But he is far from those who are far from him. And when we start trusting in ourselves, we start looking at the plans that we've made, the victories that we've gained. We very often find ourselves wondering, how in the world did I make a covenant with the enemy? How did I get here? And for the children of Israel, remember back in verse 14, they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. That was the problem. So, that's why this happened. Then all the rulers said to the congregation in verse 19, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and now therefore we may not touch them. They have already gotten their mistake. 
Does anybody see the, the absolute devastation that consequences can have even when or the consequences that sin can bring into your life is a better way to look at it, even though you actually recognize you've messed up? Better not to make the mistake in the first place, don't you think? So here, here they are. They're like, we can't touch these guys. We now have to live with them. We can't do a thing about it. I, I can't do a thing about this child that I have with this person that I don't even like. Still my child. I can't do anything about the fact that my neurons now are permanently damaged because I, I made a, a pact with the enemy to let him live in my life in drug abuse. I can't do a thing about that conviction of that DUI where I put somebody in the hospital and they will never walk again. You get the picture? You see, it applies to us today. We let the enemy in. And the enemy sets up shop. And the enemy talks. Oh, you know, I'm really not that bad a guy. And this we will do to them. We will let them live, lest the wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore. They had no choice. They would have been cursed themselves had they done anything to these peoples. Because they had sworn before the Lord. God's name would have been shamed. Let me tell you something very specifically. God takes extremely seriously the shaming of his name. Matter of fact, your Bible says that he honors his name above his word. And the ruler said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. And then Joshua had called to them and he spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us saying that we are very far from you when you dwell near us? And now therefore you are cursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves. You'll be woodcutters, water carriers for the house of my God. And so the answer, Joshua, and said, Because your servants were clearly told that your Lord God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Do you see there how the enemy knows very specifically what God's word says? Very specifically what God's word says and knows exactly how to use it against you. Did the same thing to Jesus, by the way. Amen. Mount of temptation. Didn't Satan quote out of context scripture? Said, oh, hey, look, the angels give charge over you. Don't worry about it. Throw yourself off here. The enemy knows how to use God's word. Very effectively. These guys knew exactly what the law of Moses said. And knew how to use it to their advantage. You ever heard people quote scripture out of context to justify their position? Well, don't judge me, brother. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody who's in the midst of gross, heinous sin go, Don't judge me. Judge not, brother. Dude, you need to quote the rest of the verse. Judge not, lest you in the same manner also be judged, and let your judgment be righteous judgment. 
I have every right in the world to judge someone's sin. Every right. Matter of fact, I've been called to be a fruit inspector. So if you claim the name of Jesus and you're not doing what God's word says, I can check out the rotten apples on your tree and go, that's a rotten apple. The enemy knows how to use the word to defend his position and ultimately to get you to compromise. How many Christians today are compromised in some area of their life because they have let the enemy move in? How many Christians are compromised in some area of their life today, right now, because they let the enemy move in? I could recount to you hundreds of stories of people who married a non-believer, believing that they would change that person, only to find out that person changed them. I can tell you countless stories. Oh, well, I can recreationally drink. I can handle it. Until they met Mr. Pine Tree, followed by one of our local law enforcement. Countless stories. Well, you know, I, of course I didn't really actually lie on my tax return. I just misreported my income. Well, don't you work for cash? Yeah, I misreported that part of my income, but isn't it all of it? Yeah, but I misreported my income. And then for the next 10 years, they're paying some summary judgment to the IRS. Yeah? You get what I'm saying? You understand where I'm going with this? We've been called to be holy, folks. One of the things that the Lord was showing me, and it's not some gross, heinous sin on my part or any of yours that I know of, but I'm telling you, the enemy wants to move in with you. The enemy's going, I'm not so bad. Just keep that anger, okay? I mean, after all, you are married to a witch. Your husband is the laziest bum I've ever met. I would hate him too. And after all, you deserve so much more. The enemy's going, Can I move in? I'd like to move in with you? I'm not really all that bad. I mean, I've gotten a bad rap over time. I mean, come on, it was just an apple. Couldn't I just move in? I mean, I live near you anyway. Because your servants, Joshua says, were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servants Moses not to give you all the land, destroy us, we were afraid of you. We knew you were Bible bigwigs. And now here we are. We're in your hands. Mercy. Remember the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Parlay. (laughs) You you can't do that. You can't misquote the Bible. You can't pick and choose what you want it to say. You don't get to say, well, I like that part of the enemy. He's evil. 
and he wants to kill you. Don't let him move in. So, do with us as it seems good and do right to us. And so he did to them. He delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel. They were going to kill him, so they didn't kill him. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in a place which he would choose even unto this day. The children of Israel never ever to this day, to today, never recovered from this faux pas. Because this group of people is exactly the group of people that are the Palestinians. It's the same group of people. Same region of the world. They're actually brothers, half-brothers. Partially related. Well, can't we just live together? Well, no, not really. It doesn't work that way. And see, this is where it begins to get interesting for you and I. Because all this really was completely avoidable. Amen? Anybody doesn't see that, you're just not looking very far ahead. Totally avoidable, this whole mess. All they had to do was wait on the Lord. And pray. Because if God is God, and He is, amen, He has infinite knowledge, amen, infinite understanding, amen, He is without limit in His capacity, amen, He can overcome any foe, amen. So if they had waited for that God with infinite wisdom, Infinite capacity to communicate that wisdom to his children. If they had waited for that God to answer the prayer that they did not ask, the whole thing could have been avoided. The Holy Spirit would have gone, "Um, I think you should probably not live with them. I'm very certain that God would not have directed them to do what they did just as I am very sure that God has never directed me to get me in trouble. Ever. That little still, small voice that speaks to us, amen? You all know it. If you walk with the Lord for any length of period of time, it's like, you shouldn't be doing that. You need to change your attitude. You need to stop and pray. Anybody ever get that message? You need to stop and pray. But Lord, I just had a victory. But Lord, I'm no longer tempted by that. Anybody ever told yourself that one? I have arrived. I am now nearly holy. And so we stop praying. Can I give you a little secret passed along to me by Pastor Chuck? Your greatest weakness is your strength. Because you stop looking. You stop praying. You stop bathing it in prayer. You no longer look to that area. Oh, I've arrived there. Why so many pastors get in trouble devotionally, which leads them into some type of moral failing. They stop reading their Bibles for themselves. They're not reading it anymore to hear from God. They're reading it to preach it to you.
easy to do. Well, I'm strong in the Word, Lord. Oh, yeah, I can give you chapter and verse all day long. But do you own it? Is it yours? Is it chapter and verse because it's buried in the tablets of your heart? Or is it chapter and verse because you know the address? Big difference between those two things. I'd much rather have a child come to me and just give me the truth because it's in their heart than give me the address because they repeated it 455 times. I don't care if they miss a few words. Get the context and the meaning correct. Couldn't care less. Now, it's a good idea to know chapter and verse, but they weren't in the original text. So when you're doing that, it's something God didn't put in there. They're not ordained. They're just simply there as a means for us to reference passages so that we can find things. Because we're not the sharpest tools in the shed. Amen? Because if I was to tell you, well, you need the 7,856th word in the letter that Isaiah wrote, you'd be going, what? Oh, and by the way, you need to read it from right to left. You'd be going, huh? You see, true faith causes us to fall on the Lord. Isaiah 28.16 says, Whoever believes will not act hastily. You know why that is? Because if you really believe, then you believe in the one who knows better than you. Amen? You see it? If you really believe, then you believe that God knows and you don't. Now, you may have a good idea, but I've learned something as I've gotten a little older. He knows more than I do. I know it's a shocker, but he does. You see, back in the book of Exodus, Moses had told the Jews, be careful not to make a treaty with any of those who live in the land where you're going, for they are a snare among you. Now, most of the guys in this room, at some point in time, have created a snare in an attempt to catch usually the common house cat. I know, it's just the way we're wired. But we make these little traps, and we go out in the yard, we bend down a sapling, and we put a piece of string on there, and we make a loop, and we put a peg in the ground, we put another little stick on the edge of it, and we put it up underneath that peg, and, we, and then we put kitty treats in the middle of it. Now, see, the thing about cats is they're kind of dainty. That's why they never spring the trap. Just the kitty treats are gone. You go out there and you curse your trap making. But that's not how Satan works. He's not putting no kitty treats in the middle of the kitty thing. He's going to somehow get the cat to go over there and think that's not a trap. You and I are not so bright. Our traps look like traps. Satan's traps don't look like traps. They look like opportunity. I've got a great opportunity. He is so handsome. She is so cute. She's like three levels above my pay grade. Yeah, she's a stoner heathen, but she may come to Jesus someday, and she is really cute. Satan knows exactly what bait to put in the trap. 
Works both ways, by the way. It's not a gender thing. Knows that you're not tempted by cocaine, but, you know, I mean, come on. We're, we're going to the beach. And the dude goes, he's sitting there on the wall. I'm like, man, the guy kind of looks a little shady. You guys want some Maui Wowie? <laughs> like, no, not really. I don't think so. Not today. Thank you very much. See, that trap's not going to work on me. But somebody who's got an issue, it'd probably work real well. Satan knows exactly how to get to you. We need to exercise caution, and we see that here in this passage of Scripture. They did not exercise caution. We're not told exactly what you know, conclusion they came to, aha moment where they made a mistake. But it's very clear they did understand. Look, we blew it, God's word said. This, we did exactly the opposite of that. Family of God, that's something you need to jot down the margin of your Bible. If God says to do it that way, do it that way. Not the other way. The other way is what we like to call the wrong way. The other way is the way that seems right unto a man, but the end of it, Scripture says, is death. You see, we get all caught up and like, well, you know, it might turn out okay in the end. You see, that's how the Gibeonites were looking at it. Look, we don't have to totally deceive them. We just have to get them to act hastily. We've got to get them going in a certain direction, and pretty soon the whole thing will snowball on them. Anybody ever been caught in a snowball effect? I have. Towards, oh, I set that in motion, and it set something else in motion, set something else in motion. You guys should all know this. When we get that fresh, light, fluffy snow, you ever started with a little snowball and rolled it down the hill by the time it gets to the bottom? I, I've, I've seen them like this fall. They'll just keep adding snow on top of snow on top of snow, and pretty soon they're four feet in diameter. That's what making hasty, unwise, unbiblical decisions can do for you. Now, now I would just tell you that when you look at this, the leaders are, are, you know, they're like, oh, man, the people are going on. These guys you gave us. And, and, you know, sometimes that is the tragedy of ministry. I, I wish I were not human. Yeah, and I can, I can speak for the rest of us who are in leadership in this room. There are days when we really wish God would just speak directly to you and you didn't need to hear it from us. But the fact of the matter is God has almost always worked through people. And people are failed instruments. We don't do things perfectly. That's why it's important for you to hear from God personally. Amen? That's why you hear me say, go check the word for yourself. See that it's true. Be a Berean. Do your homework. Not because I don't think that I've prepared well or that I generally do a pretty fair job of expository teaching. I try to exegete the text correctly. I try to use proper contextual hermeneutics. If you want to use all the biblical words that you can dig up, I, I try all those things. I study the original language, do all that kind of stuff. But God is spirit, and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. As Zechariah said, it is not by power, it is not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. 
and God's Spirit is able to speak to you. And so I want to really strongly encourage you, don't get caught making hasty decisions without eliciting the Spirit of the Lord. And you know what? I would have probably done no better than Joshua. I want to give Joshua, you know, all kinds of slack here because I know me. I can biff it. I can blow it. But do pray for your leaders because they have a hard job to do. We have a hard job to do. It's tough because sometimes we're, we're spending our time cleaning up messes. The people get going a direction. The pastor's going, whoa, I don't think we should go that way. The people go that way anyway. How many of you have seen the mighty Mo, the battleship Missouri? You've seen it. It is a humongous 16-inch guns. The the shells that go inside of those 16-inch guns weigh about the same as a Volkswagen Beetle. They are humongous. They can also be launched in excess of 50 miles. A full broadside of the battleship Missouri, if it does a full broadside, would move the Missouri sideways some 60 feet. Now, to give you an idea, that thing displaces about the same amount of water as an aircraft carrier, and it surges sideways. It takes over two miles to turn it completely around. You, You see, sometimes in our spiritual lives... We're, we're kind of like a slow-moving battleship. We're tough to get turned around. There's a lot of mass involved. There's a lot of power involved. There are a lot of things that are going on that they're all working in concert, and all of a sudden we're sitting there going, man, how do we turn this thing? Because it's already moving. If you ever watch a large ship come into port, the, the, the captain's not sitting up there at the bridge full steam ahead as he comes into the harbor. He's backed off to a one-tenth of a throttle before he ever gets there. And then when he gets down to getting anywhere near the actual pier, they're reversing the engines to try and slow the thing down. They're not coming, well, I think we can stop it on a dime. You do that with a, you know, if you go down to San Diego and look at the Midway, if you brought the Midway in a full head of steam, that puppy would be up in, you know, up there in the heights someplace before it stopped. That's our lives when we get ahead of the Lord. There's a lot of stuff going on. That's what happened to the Israelites. They got it going the wrong direction at a very rapid pace, and they couldn't stop it. Now they're stuck living with the disaster. Connie and I used to laugh because we had a sailboat in Oceanside Harbor, and we would sit on our boat and watch the newbies bring their boats into the harbor. See, it's a fun sport. It's kind of like we were watching the sunburn people in Maui. Just so you know, total Lilo and Stitch thing. We have p- photos of people just completely fried like lobsters. I know it's demented, but it is, it, it's like, can't they feel that? But we used to watch people bring in their brand new boats. They'd go buy a boat. Here they spent, you know, several hundred thousand dollars on this cabin cruiser. And they're coming in and you're going, oh, that's too fast. <laughs> and you kind of snicker just like that. Because you know where the boat's going to go. And it's, it's not in the slip, it's on top of the slip. And they're up, you know, and the bow stuck up on there, and they're trying to find people. They'll throw a line on the bow, they're on the stern of their boat, and pull them off the dock. And it's pretty hilarious, unless you happen to pay for the damage that you did to the bottom of the boat. But the point is this: 
They needed to think it through. They probably should have taken some boating lessons. Maybe should have figured out that that boat actually weighs several hundred tons. And you can't stop it by going, oh, I'll just put on the brakes. Little secret about water? Not a whole lot of friction. We get our lives going a certain direction. All of a sudden, we're stunned. How did I get here? Because you were going too fast. You weren't paying attention to the owner's manual, and you surely didn't consult the captain. Because if you had asked the captain, if you looked at the manual, he just said, hey, knucklehead, don't come in under full head of steam. Bad idea. You're going to end up on the dock. Matter of fact, you're going to end up on Oceanside Boulevard. Little tip here for you. It's like a bass, you know, like the, the Bass Pro tips. They give you the pro tips. If you go to Bass Pro Shop, this is a Bass Pro tip. This is a God Pro tip. Uh, if you have access to the one omnipotent being in the universe, might be a good idea to take a moment to talk to him. Amen? Pretty simple, isn't it? I'm a novel idea. The one omnipotent person in the entire universe. You may want to actually ask him what he thinks. Instead of after your boat is up on the dock, how did I get here? We're kind of prone to act like that sometimes. I know I am. Maybe you aren't, but I am. I like to get the boat going. Rick and I were talking about boats earlier. Rick doesn't like to go slow. I don't like it. We're not slow boaters. We're not the casual. You know, you've seen the people who drive the boat. We don't drive boats casually like that. We like the boat to go. You want it to plane. You want it to get down. You want it to go fast. There's a problem with that. They don't turn instantaneously. And if you try and do that, you can flip all of your friends out of the boat. You can flip your, you can, you can flip your family out of the boat. You can flip your finances out of the boat. You can flip your whole life out of the boat. If you get it going too fast and then go, well, I'll just turn it here. You might want to check in with the Lord before you get going that way. When we make a mistake, just admit it. Praise God for grace, amen? Praise God for mercy, amen, that you don't always get the results of your silliness. I don't know about you, but I, I love mercy. I love grace, but I love mercy. Because I'm not big on, I don't like whoopings. I don't like to, you know, have to get what I have coming to me. I like to not get what I have coming to me. That's mercy. But now they're stuck with those stupid decisions. They're sitting there looking at this stuff going, man, we got to live with these guys. We have to let the Gibeonites serve. we got to find something to do. So now they have a built-in weakness for the rest of their days. You see that? How many Christians have a built-in weakness for the rest of their days because they've learned to live with the enemy? Because they didn't talk to God? Because they came in full speed ahead thinking they could go ahead and stop it whenever they felt like it. You see, what they were really learning here was this. It's much easier to give it a little more gas when you're going slow 
and get it going a little faster than it is to slow it down once it's already there. And it's true with your life spiritually. I have, in my own personal estimation, never suffered for going a little bit slow. Never. But boy, have I suffered for being ahead of the Lord. Boy, have I brought things into my life because I wasn't listening, or worse yet, just like the Jews, I hadn't talked to God at all. Lord, I got this. You know, it's no big deal. I mean, it's just a business transaction. Isn't it weird how we put things in little boxes and categories? Oh, it's just a business transaction. God doesn't, he's not even concerned with that. We're just going to Disneyland. It's not a big thing to God. Really? I think that's about $100 a person, and then food's $500 a person. It's like $10,000 for a day, I think, now to go to Disneyland or something like that. Yeah, you, you know, we think about those things. Well, it's nobody else just going to decide to go to Disneyland. Did you actually ask God if he wanted you to go to Disneyland? Now, again, I'm not anti-Disney, by the way. We are the world. <laughs> we were doing the Lion King thing earlier. The circle of life. But my point is this. Isn't God worthy of ask? Shouldn't we go, you know, God, is this something you really want us to do? If he cares about sparrows dropping out of the sky, don't you think he cares about your finances? If he knows the number of hairs on your head, and that's not, you don't have to count very, for Alan and I, that's not much. We don't, it's not a whole lot. We don't have to count very high. Daryl's even less. He has to glue his together. If he knows those things, don't you think he wants you to talk to him? Talk to him. Ask him. Inquire of the Lord. Inquire in his holy temple. The train of his garment fills the glory of the earth. He's got plenty of answers. The problem is, we don't ask good questions. And by the way, there's no such thing as a stupid question. The only question is a stupid question is the one you don't ask. Because God can always tell you no. He can always reinforce what you already know. That's what he wants to do. Skipping a quick chat with God is always a bad mistake. So we need to know our enemy. And so in this case, they're just simply stuck with this. And they end up now in a battle of wits with the world, which isn't a good thing. And family, if you look at these scriptures, Second Corinthians full of them. And by the way, that Second Corinthians passage also contains another one that you should know by now. We're not to be unequally yoked with the world. We're not to tie ourselves to darkness. For what has light to do with darkness? What has Christ to do with Belial? What has the Lord to do with the devil? Is what it says there in Second Corinthians. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. And there's an unseen battle that's raging all around you. And, and the guys that are on the other side don't play fair. 
They cheat. They lie. They steal, just like the Gibeonites. Well, we don't really mean any harm. I mean, come on, we're just Gibeonites from a far land. We're just an Indian casino. We don't really want to take all of your money, just most of your money. I mean, come on. Everyone knows that blackjack has the best odds of any table game. And if you just read this book, you'll be able to beat those odds. Really? Those guys aren't billionaires because they're giving money away. But the enemy's going, well, it's just recreation. Just go recreate. Have some recreation. Do some recreating down there. Get some free shows. Sure, most of the people around you are drunk, but you don't have to drink. Then you lose a little bit of money. I'm going to drink. Then you lose some more money. I'm going to drink some more. Then you lose your mind and your money. And your house and your car. You wonder why you're at payday loan. 1-800-CASH-CALL. We'll give you 12 bucks at just 164% interest. Be $2,014 tomorrow, but, but you might hit it big. And the reason I'm telling you this is because this is how silly people can be in listening to the lies of the enemy. Go, well, it's just, you know, we're just going down and we're having an office party. No intention of drinking. No intention of gambling. No intention of throwing your life away. But that is, in fact, what happens. And the enemy knows it. Talk to God. Ask Him. Inquire of Him. That passage there in Ephesians 6, so important. Because Proverbs 14 is that passage there, verse 12 says that there's a way that seems right to a man. To you and I, to us, to we. It seems like, oh, that's a good path. I mean, man, I just need a break from all this. I need to kind of numb it a little bit. The pressures of life. And then all of a sudden you got a problem you never counted on because there was a way that seemed right unto man. But lurking on the other side of that was the enemy going, I got him. Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah 10, For I know, O Lord, that every man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks that directs his own steps. He says, Lord, unless you put one foot in front of the other, I know I'm going to go the wrong way. Man, how I want to live that way. I just want to know that the Lord's in it. Whatever it is that I'm doing or we're doing, my family, I just want to know, God, you're in it. I'll do anything, God, if you're in it. But if you're not in it, I don't want to be in it. If you're not for it, I don't want to be for it. If you're against it, I want to be against it too. God, just speak to me. 
tell me what you want me to do. Help me to ask better questions. We're in a war. And walking by sight is amplified a thousandfold when you're in a war. I find it very distressing, these, these cases of, of you know, Michael Brown case and the shooting. It's just tragic all the way around. My brother's in law enforcement, and I can tell you this, and there, there are law enforcement officers in this congregation, some sitting here tonight. When you got some guy punching you in the head, when somebody is drawn down on you, you, you don't have 45 minutes to talk to him. That's life. The enemy knows exactly what to do to exacerbate that situation so that ultimately some bad things happen. Now, if he'll do that in something as horrible as, as this, don't you think he's out to destroy everything the Lord stands for? And you're in his crosshairs. The enemy's got a little scope, and it's got you in the middle of it. He's going, man, I want to destroy Jeff. And it's very presumptive on my part to think that I'm not going to get shot at. I go into every day thinking the same general thought. I know there's a trap here someplace. I know where it is. So, Lord, I'd like you to spring the traps. Now, I lived in a day and time, and I'll wrap this up tonight. Born and raised in a part of Southern California to where we still had traps. And I mean the literal spring traps that you stepped on, pried the jaws open, and you could trap coyotes and foxes and all those kinds of things. My grandpa had a garage full of them. Matter of fact, we actually had a chinchilla farm. Those are evil beasts. They are not cuddly. They will rip your face off. But I remember thinking to myself, oh, those don't look too dangerous. You know, they're only about this big, the little ones that we'd use for coyotes and foxes and stuff. And I know they're cruel, and I'm not suggesting that you should go out and do this. But I remember we would, we would try and see who could stick their foot in the trap without getting it around your ankle. And so the game was spring the trap, put it on the ground, and try and touch it with part of your shoe so it would catch your shoe and not your foot. Well, my Uncle Gary was not the sharpest tool in the shed. He thought he could do it with his toe. He thought he had quick toe. He then had nearly no toe. Because he had slow toe. It was like all we heard was click and then several words which I cannot repeat to you tonight. And all we hear is this clink, clink, clink of Gary running down the driveway with this trap on the end of his toe. It seemed like a good idea at the time to play with the traps hung in Grandpa's garage. It's not a good idea to play with the traps hung in Grandpa's garage, okay? It's just not. They hurt. They will take your toes off. They were designed to maim animals and keep them there for a very long time. The enemy knows that. But to us, we're like, oh, I can defeat that. Especially us guys. 
We're dumb as bricks with stuff like that. Us and hot rocks got two things in common. The rock part. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The games that we play, and again, I speak from a guy's perspective, the game of mumbly pig. Whoever invented that game? You throw a knife at someone else's feet. Let's see if you can stick it in the ground as close to their foot as possible. Yeah, Rick, keep your clothes on, Rick. But yeah, we think, oh, well, I'll be the one that can throw it. To, oh, I'll stand. See, part of the game was you had to stay there while the other person threw their knife at you. It's my toe. You see, it seems like fun and games. But it's actually minor surgery without anesthesia. It's the way the enemy works. Oh, it's just a game. Don't mean any harm. The knife's dull. It surely won't go through your shoe. It'll go through your shoe, your foot, and the sole of your shoe. You see, the enemy doesn't tell you that part. He only says, oh, it'll be fun, it'll be fine, it'll be okay, and after all, you're an excellent shot with a knife, you'll win. And then you end up with like, you have feet like Rick's. (laughs) Extra webbing. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might, that you might put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see that crafting, cunning, crafty cunningness. The enemy doesn't tell you these things. It's just going to lie to you, just like the Gibeonites. Oh, we live way out there in the boonies someplace. we got moldy bread. Brothers and sisters, the enemy wants to kill you. And you need to put on the armor. goes on to say, they're having done all to stand, stand therefore. You've got to look at the evidence. The evidence is for us as the body of Christ, the enemy hates your guts. That's what the evidence says. It's a battle that we fight by faith because it's not against principalities and powers, but against the rulers of the darkness of this age. It's not flesh and blood that we're fighting against. In the depths of the winter at Valley Forge, George Washington went to his knees in prayer because he knew it was the right thing to do, not the only thing to do. Abraham Lincoln did the same thing before the Battle of Gettysburg. There was nothing else to do but to seek the God that created mankind to stop the carnage. I I, I don't know that we can pray too much. Ah, you might slow down a little bit. Maybe you'll miss something that... God, I don't know. But I know this. Once the battleship's moving, it's tough to stop. I know this. Once you get going the wrong direction, sometimes you're going to pay the cost and pay for the consequences for the rest of your days for that ship going that way. You don't want to do that. You want to have God take your ship right into the harbor where it belongs. Let him pilot the thing. You might get there slower than you like to go, but you'll get there safe. And I'd rather get there safe 
kind of funny as you, as you age, you have a tendency to start thinking about, is it safe? When you're younger, it's, is it fun, right? After a while, is it fun kind of fades off and is it safe? Can I lose a toe? Can anything happen bad? I think that mature view is the view that we ought to have as the body of Christ. Let's ask the Lord, Lord, is this you? I want to be a holy risk taker, but I don't want to be a risk taker just for the sake of being risky. Reminds us of four things, and I just want to leave you with them very quickly. As Christians, we're involved in a deadly spiritual battle with a power that is far superior to our own human strength. Don't forget that. Life and death is in the balance. Truly, life and death is in the balance. You may not see it that way. I'm here to tell you life and death is in the balance. Be delivered from that opponent and his nefarious schemes. You need to put on the right kind of armor. And it's not human wisdom. It's not crafty sayings. It's not a bunch of goofy stuff. You need to put on Jesus every day. Every single day. The offensive weapons that we have are just two. They're the word of God in prayer. Find out what the word says and then ask God what he wants to do. And finally, whenever you have a victory, you can count on the enemy turning up the heat. Because he hates it when you're winning. He loves it when you're losing. And so if he can take a victory and turn it into some kind of horrible thing for you, then he's won. So be watchful. Talk to God. And then do whatever he says. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of your people. God, pray that you would just impress upon us your truth. Lord, help us to speak with you frequently and often. Help us to love you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. Help us to love our neighbors, Lord, as much as we do ourselves. God, help us to be wise with your wisdom. Help us to be girded for battle. Lord, help us to hear your voice and to do it. God, fill us with your spirit. Anoint us. Help us to be used for your kingdom purposes, God. And pray for those that have come tonight. Maybe they're seeking. Lord Jesus, you said, if any will call upon my name, they will be saved. And so, Lord... We just simply ask that you would reach into the hearts, the minds of every person here, that we would know for sure that we have asked that grand question, just as Nicodemus did, just as the Philippian jailer did. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And so, Lord, send your Spirit to convict of that truth, to convince of your righteousness, and your power to set us free from sin, we pray. We ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.